Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. What a, what a weekend we have had here at the Heights. We had our, our Christmas presentation the last two nights, and uh, I'm always in awe, and just sometimes I'm a little bit, you know, it just stands out even a little bit more of, of you and our church family and what we do. Gosh, all the the people serving food and beverages as people came in and out and uh, our parking team, security, our women's ministry set up these photo opportunities. I mean, just watching everybody do things to make it special for everybody that was coming. And then there's our choir and orchestra. How about them? Every single week and on special occasions, it was just a uh, a phenomenal weekend. So proud of y'all. So thankful for you. And wow, it was also exciting. I hadn't seen this and I guess what's now almost two years going back of, of COVID. We had a packed house both nights. I, like walk in, I hadn't seen the room like this in so long. We In the two Friday and Saturday night shows, we had uh, right at 2,200 people here. Uh, for that for that presentation. So, wonderful weekend, and I sure believe and trust God used it to work and to minister and to see people come to Christ. Well, today we're going to continue in our series, and you know, if you had been in Rome that day, or you'd been in Jerusalem, and you picked up the Roman Times or Jerusalem today, as a matter of fact, every paper in the world would have had the same headlines. Augustus mandates census. And boy, did that cause the headaches, the frustration, the anger, the time, the money. It was a disruption to everything. We probably can't understand that. that that's a joke because we can, right? <laughs> we, 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 it's right where we're living today. We're, we're continuing our series in Luke chapter one and two, it's been Christmas with Luke. We've done four messages now in Luke one, and today we get to Luke two. And the, the verses I read today, when you think Christmas story, it's these verses. This, this is what comes to all of our minds when we think of the Christmas story. So let's look at that. Luke chapter two, and I will begin in verse one. Luke chapter two, where we are today, verse one. It says there, at at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. That was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, uh, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, 
has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. It seems kind of like the obvious response, right? Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, for it was just as the angel had told them. You know, I think when people, when you and I read the Christmas story or read anything in the Bible, and this isn't an accusation against any one individual, I just think generally when we read this, we kind of separate it from reality. It's like this isn't a real world. You know, this, this is the stuff that church plays are made of. And boy, this is the biggest church play of all that we, we read here today. Oh, we, you know, we've got a star in the sky and angels and shepherds and a, and a new baby in a manger. It just, it kind of invites you into the scene to just, well, like escape reality. And isn't that kind of what Christmas has become in America? It's a one month long national escape from reality. And I think we kind of need it every now and then, right? But when you look, when you read Luke, Think about what we've seen all through Luke chapter 1. And, and look at those opening verses of, of Luke 2, verse 1, verse 2. This isn't an invitation to escape reality. Luke keeps drawing us back into a very real world. It was done here. It was done at this time. It was under this government. These were the rulers. It's all, historically speaking, very measurable, very verifiable. It's very real because Jesus is real. And he's for a real world. He's for a real world dealing with real issues. Now, as we read this scene today, 1,500 miles away in Rome, there's a guy by the name of Augustus. He named himself that because Augustus means supreme one. So you know what kind of ego we're talking about here when you name yourself, I clearly am the supreme one. Now, where, where are we in history? I want, want us to, to kind of grab this here for a moment. You know, I'm guessing you, I don't, you know, have a list of all the Roman emperors in, my, you know, in life and their dates and what they did and all that. But I think a lot of us, are we familiar with Julius Caesar? I've heard of him, right? I've heard of Julius Caesar. Okay, Julius Caesar is right before the time of Jesus. He's an incredibly popular uh, emperor. He, he expanded the empire from, you know, out to what we today call Britain and France and Spain and obviously Italy and up through Egypt. He had a way of conquering enemies and rewarding citizens. I mean, if you're a citizen, everybody wins under Julius. These are good days. Who would have imagined he'd be assassinated by his friends? 
And after his assassination, the Senate declared Julius Caesar to be God. Seemed like strange timing to find out that he was God after he'd been assassinated. Well, since he's God, then his son Octavian decided, well, dad's God, that makes me son of God. As a matter of fact, in 38 BC, there's a coin minted. And on one side, it says divine Julius. On the other side, it says divine son. I wonder if Christmas happened when it did because God just finally said, I need to go down there and show these fools what this is all about, you know? So uh, Octavian, now calling himself the son of God, is the the new emperor, and uh, he is horrible. He's nothing like his father, Julius. Uh, He... It is He begins a string of horrible emperors. They're vile, they're immoral, they're violent. Uh, it's Octavian that's going to move Rome from being a republic to a tyranny. And Octavian has a stepson that he's raising up to be the next emperor. His name is Tiberius. And he teaches Tiberius, hey, hey listen, if there, you got any problem in Rome, you know, if it's an enemy, hey, if it's just an annoyance, here's how you deal with annoyances. You strip them, you flog them, and you nail them to a cross. Even if they're 1,500 miles away and they're a, you know, a Jewish carpenter. So who, who are these two names we're talking about? I've been referring to Octavian. He, he calls himself the son of God. And later, because he really likes name, he calls himself Augustus. Octavian, the son of Julius Caesar, is who we're reading about here. So it's Augustus that is emperor when Jesus is born. It's his stepson Tiberius that is emperor when when Jesus is crucified. Now, folks, we, we go through this. We remind ourselves of this. We're not entering a fairy tale. We're entering a very real world of politics and power and corruption and and government and immorality and masses of people suffering under all of it. So that's kind of the historical context where we pick up, we start here with Augustus, remember, supreme one, because I am. I mean, look what I can do. I can just say something and the whole world has to move. The whole world has to do something about it. I mean, that's going to make you feel kind of supreme, isn't it? Little did the supreme one know that he was little more than a pawn. He's just a pawn in the hand of the real supreme one. Because all Augustus was doing was accomplishing God's plans and purposes. Now, as this mandate goes out, since it's going around an empire, it covers a lot of territory. So with that mandate, it was said each region can kind of decide how you're going to do this, how this is going to unfold. So we come into our region, and I'm referring to our region as our, the ones reading this story. We're in Israel. We're in the region of Syria. Quirinius is the governor and is decided there the way we're going to do this census is everybody's going to go to their hometown. Everybody's going to go to where you're born, and you'll register there. You know how we read just right by that? And this is why I say we separate ourselves from this being a real world. You know, we don't even, just don't even register with us what just happened there. Can you imagine today, and you should be able to, can you imagine today, we wake up tomorrow, December 13th, 2021, 
And everywhere, the newspapers, the radio, the TVs, breaking news, breaking news, breaking news, White House mandate census. All American citizens must return to their birthplace by March 2022. What would be going on tomorrow afternoon? We'd be losing our ever-loving mind. We'd be mad, angry. Think of the cost. Think of the time. Think of the disruption. I mean, all of us, it doesn't matter what I had planned for January to March or what's going on in my life. All of a sudden now, I've got to get to Phoenix. Karen has to get to Miami. I've got a daughter that's going to have to get to Dallas. I've got three kids that got to get to Spartanburg with 300 million other people. Do you, do you realize every day from January 1 to March 31 is going to be like the day before Thanksgiving? In every bus station, every train station, every airport, the interstate, it's going to be a nightmare. Are you starting to get the mood everybody's feeling right now? And none of this takes into account any of my plans or anything going. If I've got the money to buy a plane ticket, I've got the time to drive all the way to... none None of that matters. Now, all of a sudden, this has to happen. And can you imagine... What, what, what would you be feeling? What would you be thinking right now? You know, I, I, before, you know, I, I mean, nobody can issue a mandate and make us all do something. <laughs> we might have said that two years ago, right? And now look, all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute. Now what's happening here? So, so for Mary and Joseph, this means they've now got to get from Galilee down to Nazareth. And, you know, we're going to get there. We'll stay with, uh, you know, un- Uncle Bob and Aunt Sue I mean, I know they've got a couple of kids probably coming in from town, but they'll have room for us. What maybe they didn't anticipate is all their third and fourth cousins would be there. You know, we're all on Ancestry.com now, so we got, you know, I got a third cousin. And a, you realize you have like 10,000 fourth cousins. You know, that's not family, okay? So they, they get there, and Bethlehem is just overrun. And we might even be thinking, you know, what, what, why didn't uh, Joseph you know, think through this a little bit better. I mean, he puts obviously a very pregnant wife on a, what, I don't know, a donkey, a camel, something, you know, and, and off to Bethlehem. I mean, is he not thinking through where they're going to stay or the timing of Mary? But, you know, that question comes from our idea that that's what they did, that he, that he put her on a camel, a mule, and they walked down to Bethlehem, and they get there late that night, and the Motel 6 has, you know, they got 10 rooms, and all of them are used. And, of course, what I just described could be further from what is going on right here. It's, it's nothing like that. The, the trip from, Bethlehem, or from Galilee, Nazareth, down to Bethlehem is 90 miles, and they're walking. So, clearly, it didn't happen in one day. How many miles a day do you average when you're seven, eight months pregnant? I don't know. I've never been seven, eight months pregnant, and I've never tried to walk to another city. I mean, 10? Would 10 seem like a lot? Seems like a knocking it out. So that's nine days. So let's say in, in Joseph's kind of just not really thinking through this and realizing what a mess the world is in right now, says, you know, okay, nine days down there, one day to register. Because, you know, when you get down there, you're going to find a finely tuned running government machine ready just to process everything real quickly. So you got nine days down there, one day of registering and nine days back. Okay, that right there is three weeks. I bet none of us have ever imagined that there might be like a long trip making this happen. As a matter of fact, we really don't even grasp the whole Christmas story. 
Because what we tend to do is we take the events out of Luke 1 and 2, the events out of Matthew 1 and 2, and we shove them all into one manger scene on our front yard. And there's, there's the Christmas story. And, and don't really notice all of the time markers inside the Christmas story. This isn't the Bible's fault. It's our fault. And so we don't really, remember, where did we start four weeks ago? We've got the angel Gabriel going to Zechariah. Remember that? And then right after that story, we get a time marker six months later. Okay, so this clearly didn't happen overnight. And, and then we've got John the Baptist being born. So there's nine months. And then we have Jesus being born. Well, that's three more months now beyond that. And then if you get all the way down to kind of what wraps up the Christmas story, the, here come the wise men with their gifts. They come trucking into town to meet the baby Jesus. That's when Jesus is two. Do you realize the events of Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2 are covering at least three years in time? Three years? I thought it was like three minutes. It fits in my front yard. Nice little scene. I got a little spotlight on it. How can it take three years for all that? See, we don't, we don't catch any of that, what's going on. Let's think about, for a second, the trip. Now that we know the history, now we know what's going on. So I'm guessing that she's not nine months pregnant when, when they leave. I'm, I'm actually guessing, for, I'm purely speculating here. I haven't read this. I don't know this as any kind of fact. But I actually think, I really do believe that when Mary and Joseph left Nazareth, she may have only been six and a half months along, maybe seven months along. But what's it like when the entire world is upside down? Everything that should have taken five minutes takes two hours. Everything that should have taken a day is now taking a week. Folks, it's not just Bethlehem that's overrun and in a mess. It's the entire region. You can't go anywhere. I'm just going to go inside and get a Coke and some chips. And two hours later, you come out with no Coke and no chips. They're out. 7,000 other people have already been here today. You see, so, so nothing is going according to plan. I, there's no telling how long it could have gotten there. But here, when you understand what's happening in Bethlehem, what's going on, they arrived to Bethlehem. Now, you and I, what in our mind's eye, you know, they come in on the donkey, she gets off, and boom, there's Jesus. The passage said, while they were in Bethlehem. It does not imply they got there that night. It implies they've been there for a while. Now, again, let's, let's back up and understand, we're not, we're not coming up to a Motel 6 or something else, and there's 20 rooms, there's 50 rooms, and up, there's the last key, it's, it's out the door. There's no hotel, there's no motel. Don't interpret the word in like you and I interpret the word in. You, I'm, this isn't close, but it's about as close as we're going to get. If you want to imagine what they're coming up to, imagine a truck stop. That is a lot closer to what they are approaching. And so you've got a lot out here with, with 200 trucks in it. And you've got this big place. You go inside. There's a diner. There's a convenience store. They've got a back room. You can rent stalls and showers and get cleaned up. And, and then, and then you, you, know, you go back out to sleep. That, that would be more equivalent to what they're pulling up to. And guess what? The truck stop there is a lot like the truck stop here. You don't want to have a baby there. You know what's out there? Crime, drugs, and prostitution. This is not a place where we're going to have a baby. 
So, so, so here come Mary and Joseph. They, they come pulling up and, 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 or walking up. And there's no trucks, by the way. They're all camels. I need to clarify that. So they come walking in, and Joseph right away says, oh, my God, we, we can't stay here. We, we, can't, we can't do this, and it's packed. There's, no, there's nowhere for us anyway. And, and I actually think they got there, probably found, you know, they, the census office is closed. It said we're supposed to be here by this. Yeah, they don't have the right forms. We may not have the right forms. I thought this is what we're supposed to be doing. No, no you, you got to come back next week. And maybe they get back next week. Well, okay, so the way we're doing this is a lottery. So you draw a number. So I draw my number. Wait, I don't come, I've already been here seven days. You're saying I don't come back for seven more? And I, I believe, again, I don't know this. I'm just trying to understand the story being described to me. There, I think there's a real likelihood they got there and they left. I can't stay here. We'll go camp out in the desert. We'll, we'll go out here. We'll go to another town where we do have some family. We'll go back up to Jerusalem. But we're not... We're not staying right here in this. And then we'll come back down seven days later. And then we get there and find out, okay, you're still running two days behind. And so we start this whole process over. Finally, finally, Joseph knows, okay, tomorrow we register. Mary, we got... We got to be in Bethlehem tonight. We, we got to stay there because we got to be there first thing in the morning for this registration. And that's where our story picks up. Okay, it never implies they just got there that night. Next morning they have baby Jesus and then they, they register. This is a world absolutely upside down. Everybody's angry. Everybody's frustrated. Everybody's spending money and time they don't want to spend. It is an entirely total disruption to life. And that, that's what they're living in the midst of. Now, we, we don't read any of that, do we? we? We don't grab the time. We don't grab what's going on in the world. But all of a sudden, I realize, oh, my gosh, this is just like my world. This isn't a fantasy. This isn't a fairy tale. This is very much like the world that I live in. We, we just pick up, you know, we come into the story, and there's a manger with a baby in it, and a star, and angels, and it's just this is the most wonderful time of year. You know, that's just, that's just all we see, all we, all we focus on. Well, oh, let's not forget the innkeeper, that poor guy who rejected Jesus because he had no room in his heart for him. You know, the scripture doesn't say he rejected Jesus. As a matter of fact, I think a lot of preachers and a lot of church plays are going to owe that guy an apology when we all get to heaven. It, it, it doesn't say anything like that about him. As a matter of fact, no pun intended, I think the innkeeper is a little bit of a savior of the moment. He's going out there to Mary and Joseph. You can't stay in this truck lot. It's not, I don't stay, I'm not staying out here. I, mean, I got a place over here. It's where the camels feed. It's, it's my personal barn. You know, just, you know, he's trying to help them, trying to get them out. He's not, there's no room. I got no room for Jesus in my heart. That is not what happened. Okay, that's not what he's saying. So he, he helps them out. But see, that's all. We just kind of picture our little story there in our manger scene on the mantle or in the front yard right there. But there's, there's actually a real world here. Now, our heart is naturally drawn to this moment that we kind of capture because we know, our soul knows, something really profound is happening here. I know, there's, I know there's this fool over in Rome that thinks he's the supreme one. But I think the supreme one is entering our world. Our soul knows this and we're drawn to this moment as he, as he enters the world in the most humblest of conditions. 
And the announcement goes out to the most humble positions because it's the humble that are going to benefit from this king's rule. Do you realize what a unique line? That's not true anywhere in history. The humble do not benefit from the powerful. Generally speaking, that's just not the case. They get stomped on by the powerful, but they don't benefit from the power. But in this case, the humble are going to benefit from the king's rule. They said, unto you, you is plural. It means all. So we don't have to ask the question, now, who is the you here? The you is you. You're the you. All the you's there, and I shouldn't say you's because they're shepherds and sheep, right? (laughs) But you, all the you people out there, all the you people here today, the announcement's for you. A savior. Now, that's a very Bible word, very religious word. We clean that up. We only use that word one place for one person, Jesus And so we kind of forget that that actually is a word that was used in common vernacular, used used all the time of certain people, not just the one from heaven. You know what I think in our culture we would call a savior? A lifeguard. A ski patrol. What is a savior? Somebody that's trained, that has the ability to come and rescue you when you've gotten yourself in a jam. Do you see why why this king will be for the humble? Because it, it takes some humility to say, I'm, I'm in a jam. I need some help. See, the pride say, I don't need any help. I'm good enough. I'm spiritual enough. I'm religious enough. I'm smart enough. I'm rich enough. I'm, I'm, I'm liked enough. I don't even believe in all that because I'm smart enough. See, the, 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 the proud will never say, I'm in a jam. The humble, I'm in a jam. I really can't fix the sin in my life. And I'm in a jam. I don't, I don't have a clue what to do with death. The people I love's death, and I'm even more concerned about my own. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with hell. I don't know if it's real. Is it not real? What, what do I do? I, I'm in a jam with that. God said, I've got a savior for you. I've got somebody who can rescue you out of the jam of sin and death and hell. And would you believe most of humanity is too proud to say, I need help. Most of humanity is too proud to say, I can't do this. But you know, it's not just that this king is for us that distinguishes him. It's that he really is the supreme one. He's not kind of supreme. Hey, a lot of people are kind of supreme. Augustus is kind of supreme. I mean, it is real. He just said something, and a lot of the known world, at least in that part of the world, moved, had to move because he spoke it. He issued the mandate, and nobody had a choice. That's kind of supreme, isn't it? But this one's not supreme over a few people. He's supreme over all people. He's not just supreme for a moment. He's supreme forever. As a matter of fact, he's supreme over everything. He's supreme over the cosmos. He's supreme over the DNA. He's supreme over governments and dignitaries and and world events. He's supreme over all of it. And one of the greatest pieces of evidence of that, anybody can say that, right? That's our faith. We're religious people, so we got to believe our God's the big God, right? No, no. Our, our, our God actually not only taught us that he's supreme, but then he proved that he's supreme with prophecy. 
I talked a few moments about prophecy last week. I want to show it to you this week in a completely different vein. Let me show you five prophecies relating to the birth of Christ. The first one, a great star will rise. Well, for God to say that and then make it happen, he's supreme over the cosmos. The baby will be born in Bethlehem. Okay, it seems like if he can say that and then make it happen, he's supreme over places. He's supreme over events that bring places and events together. In the line of David, now wait a minute, that's getting a little tricky. He, are, like, is he supreme over DNA? Is he supreme over heritage? Powerful men will travel from afar to worship him. He's supreme over dignitaries. He can move anybody, anywhere he wants at any time. And the child will come forth from a virgin. Wait a minute, what is, what's that category? What, that's not natural at all. Well, wait a minute, would that mean he's supreme over the supernatural? Oh, yes, indeed. You know, folks, every one of these statements, we can historically validate where they were said in history. And then we can historically validate how Jesus fulfills each and every one of them. You know, I'm reminded of what God taught about himself in Isaiah 14, 24. I love this verse. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. Who can say that? Hey, I can say a lot of things. <laughs> and, and you know what? A lot of times I can bring some of it about. Hey, I can say some things on one day that I, I, I can say it because I have the total ability to bring it about. But all of a sudden tomorrow, oh my, I don't have that ability anymore. Who can actually say it and then bring it about but the supreme and the sovereign one? Let's look at one of these prophecies a little closer, the one about Bethlehem, since that's our focus today. Micah 5.2, God said that 735 years before. Gosh, I'm just trying to make the stuff I happen today, say today, happen tomorrow. God, God can say it 735 years in advance. But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me... One who's to be ruler in Israel. Now, if we just stop right there, a simple prediction. Lots of people make predictions and, oh, I've read this book that said all these predictions came true. And you look at the predictions, boy, they're like super vague. Like if you really look at them, like 10,000 different people could have, could have applied for the fulfillment of that. Well, now this is a little bit vague. Okay, so we're going to have a ruler that's going to be born in, that's going to come out of Bethlehem. But the prophecy doesn't stop at verse 2. You have to read verse 3, 4, and 5 where it describes the ruler and what he's going to accomplish. And all of a sudden, a vague prediction starts getting really, really refined and really, really clear. And that's just one of 60 that Jesus fulfills every one of. But how about that last phrase? Somebody's going to be born in Bethlehem whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Now, that's a little bit of a head scratcher, isn't it? What, what does that mean? Okay, so the prophecy is that he has his beginning in Bethlehem, but that's not his beginning. He's going to start in Bethlehem, but that's not his start. He's from eternity. Can you imagine the confusion of how that's going to be fulfilled? 
Can you imagine the confusion of what that's going to look like? I'm guessing God the Father wasn't confused. I'm guessing he wasn't trying to work out the details of how that's going to happen. Because he knew that his son, while being born in Bethlehem, was not beginning in Bethlehem. Another fun prophecy. That the Messiah will be a Nazarene. Now, wait a minute. Now we've got two prophecies. Isn't that a little bit of a contradiction? How can he be born in Bethlehem but be called a Nazarene? How can it be from one place but then said to be from another? And God says, oh, that's not hard at all. I've got this couple I'm going to use in Nazareth, so he's going to be a Nazarene. Well, yeah, but it says he's born in Bethlehem. Well, how are you going to get a couple to walk all the way down to Bethlehem and have a baby? Oh, it's no problem at all. I got this fool in Rome, thinks he's all that. I'm going to have him issue this decree, and there goes my couple in Nazareth down to have a baby in Bethlehem, take them back to Nazareth where they'll raise them. You say, wait, 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 time time out, Pastor. I'm trying to read between the lines here. Are you saying saying God issues the mandates? Yes. Well, no. But yes, but but no, not really. Which is it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, folks, here's, so here's what Scripture teaches us. God does things. God issues things. God moves on the world and makes anything and everything happen. But not every time is God making anything and everything happen. Sometimes it's Satan moving. Satan will move, and he will inspire actions and activities. Satan will inspire things. And sometimes it's neither God nor Satan that is moving and inspiring. We just do it ourselves. We just move and we act and we say. But what the scripture teaches is wherever it starts from, it doesn't get very far before God owns it. It can come from Satan. It can come from people. At the end of the day, it will all serve God and his purposes. It will all fit into God's plan. God will own every bit of it. Gosh, what does that say to you and me, folks? (laughs) God's, God's in control. You know, this really, it really does make a good church play. <laughs> but I, I don't think Luke is giving us this for a church play. I, I think Luke is giving us this because all of this is to be a very historical, factual. Would you keep that in mind? This is historical, factual. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's not what us religious people believe. It's all very measurable, all very verifiable reminder that Jesus is the supreme ruler. And that means all of those things I've got there. That's right, job issues, births, deaths, the governments, the good ones, the bad ones, the good things they do, the bad things they do, all of it God is in control of. And you and I are to act like it. We're to act like it. Now, I can't always tell. Can you what God is doing in a moment? What is God doing in a virus? What is God doing in a mandate? Why would God allow a virus? Why would God allow a mandate? I can't tell what he could possibly be doing in this. And God never promises you that you'll be able to tell in the moment. But he does tell you, I am in control. So you worship and you obey and you trust like I am in control. I, I can worship today, folks, even though I don't know, because what's true in Luke 2 is going to be true for you and me in 2022. God is in control. So what does that mean to act like it? Let me look at these people, man. Look at the money and the time, the disruption, the life. 
because of what a government does. This is the real world. It's no different from the world you and I are living. What, what are we supposed to do? We act like we've got a God who's in control. For, folks, it's from what God is teaching here. I'm in control. Now watch how I prove it. Here's some prophecies. Prophecies. Here's the historical evidence that shows those prophecies. Now that you know that and now that you understand that, here's a list of commands. None of God's commands are random rules to see who gets into heaven. Every one of God's commands comes out of his character, comes out of who he is. Every one of his commands is for our good and our well-being at living in a broken world. And so now with this lesson of his supreme and sovereign rule and everything going on every single day, that's why he can say to you and me, don't worry. That's not just a random, you know, hey, here's an impossible thing to do. Don't worry. No, 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 no. I've said I'm in control of all things. I've proved I'm in control of all things. So don't worry. Don't grumble and complain. Do you realize that when you and I are worrying, when we're grumbling and complaining, we're giving a testimony to our own soul We're giving a testimony to everybody watching us, everybody listening us, to everybody around us. We're giving a testimony. I'm not in control. Nobody's in control. And now that you realize what God has taught you and shown you, do you realize he's looking down from heaven and saying, why are you saying that? Why are you? Stop it. Why are your words and your actions and everything about you communicating to everybody you know and love that nobody's in control? I'm in absolute control. So stop worrying. Now, time out. So does that mean I'm never angry about what's going on at church, what's going on at government, what's going on in my home? Does that mean I'm never going to move to make a difference, to change if, if I have within my ability to make? No, folks. It, it doesn't mean we're not ever going to get angry. It doesn't mean we don't affect change where we can affect change. It means we don't worry. We're not operating from anxiety and fear. We're not operating from hate and bitterness. We don't start hating each other because we've forgotten that somebody's in control. Gosh, forget the mess that's going on out there. The the church in America is being devastated. At a time when our country needs us the most, we hate each other. We've divided each other into the categories of masks and vaccines and support mandates, don't support mandates. And this passage doesn't tell you you can or cannot support a mandate. What it says is don't act like nobody's in control. See, because I know God's good, and I know God's control, and I know God's working, that means I don't have to hate you for thinking different than me. I don't have to see you now as some kind of enemy because you're going to handle this differently from I, than I am. Folks, these don't, commands don't come from nowhere. They come from what God's taught us, and they come from what God has proved. And yes, you are absolutely expected to act like it. Who would think little things, worrying, grumbling, complaining, were such a profound attack 
attack against the sovereign ruler of this universe. And I think you and I were charged to give the exact opposite testimony to our world. And if I can't do it in my church, and I can't do it in my home, gosh, I wonder what chance I'm going to be a clear witness out there. Zero. For you. A sovereign. A supreme. A savior. Live like it. No issue, no relationship, no problem, no government is outside of where you live like it. Let's pray. Lord, I'm in awe of you. You move through a government mandate that no doubt the whole world hated. So that I could stand here today and say the name Jesus. God, you know I'm going to get angry. You know I'm going to get scared. You know I'm going to be confused and not know what to do. God, thank you for showing me that in all things, you're God. In all things, you're in control. In all things, you're working. Nothing is outside of that. Nothing. Oh, God, may I start thinking about what it means to live in light of that, in that relationship, in that situation, in that thing that's got me so angry, mad, frustrated, scared. What does it mean to walk into that moment knowing I have a sovereign, I have a savior? Because God, I want, we want every word out of our mouth, every action of our lives, our demeanor. We want everything about us to give such a clear testimony. I'm okay. There's a Jesus. Lord, may we understand that what was true there in Luke 2 is just as true in 2022. May we understand that just as there were all kinds of prophecies about your first coming, there's even more prophecies about your second coming. And you are going to move through world events, national events, local events. You're going to move and work through people to set a stage whereby every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, may I not find myself grumbling and complaining, fighting people who are my brothers and sisters in Christ as you move to put those events in place. Oh, Lord, we need your help. And I thank you for this word. I thank you for this Bible that is so real and speaks right to the world we live in today. There's no fairy tale in here. There's no myth. There's no legends. There's truth and there's reality. And it's for me. It's for us. Lord, I say it again. You move through a wicked government. You move through a mandate. 
so that I would know the name Yahweh. So that I could call out to the name Jesus. Gosh, your Lord, you are, you are amazing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.